0: As a games company, uh, you, your your user base is a whole bunch of people who like software, right? Mm-hmm. Who
1: like computer stuff, and they like and- solving problems and getting into things. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 353 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm the webs
0: programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the arch not programmer.
1: And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 3rd, 2022, 2020 you. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's gonna be profanity in this show. And we also would like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net who uh bought us some coffees and we drank it. Keeping we those drank, profanity
0: engines burning.
1: Yeah. Uh okay, so this episode, uh, there's a few things that we wanna, we wanna talk about. Um in the games industry. I think the well, the big one is the Steam Deck is kind of. I, I don't know if I would say taking the world by storm, but it is taking the world by sort of slight breeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some <laughs> um, sort of squall. Yeah. So Steam Deck was announced what like a, over a year ago, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and it was it's a really sort of cool concept, which is it's a it's a portable gaming PC that looks looks it's a switch. <laughs> It's a Nintendo Switch for your Steam games. Um, yep. I guess, what so was that old PlayStation one that they used to do,
0: the mobile PlayStation? The PS Vita? The Vita. It's more like that, right? Because it's like big and bulky. The, uh, it's Vita much, bigger, it's, yeah, it's much bigger. Yeah, it's way bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the Steam Deck is quite quite heavy and quite a bit larger than the Switch, and it doesn't have detachable controllers on the side so it doesn't have the multiplayer thing um and it also doesn't have a a dock yeah Yeah. so you're not able to you know do the switch thing where you can like use it as a living room console or as a portable thing it's just it's just is the steam deck just is one chunk Mm -hmm. um that is only meant for portable gaming it's it's the way portable gaming was before
0: switch just now correct After the switch,
1: yeah. So one of the reasons that this caught a lot of attention at the outset was the idea that that you've already bought a bunch of Steam games, you've already got hundreds of games in your Steam library from decades of purchasing Steam games. Uh, It would be cool if you could basically get something, you know, Game Boy like. You could take it wherever you go. Something like a Switch, but you already have all the games. You don't need to go buy a new library of games. Which actually is a very compelling pitch, right? Um, I think one of the downsides is that PC games are kind of performance intensive and require a lot of juice, and as a result, Steam Deck, um, aside from being quite bulky and actually not that portable for a portable gaming device, uh, has a quite a low battery life. Like if you're if you're playing. Um, some of your higher end games, you know, people reported what, like 45 minutes to an hour. Um yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so of course you can uh, you can like crank all the settings way down and maybe and you know get like a couple of hours out of it. Um, but because it's it's so big and then the battery doesn't last very long, then you've got that problem where like if you if you're gonna be like flying somewhere and you're gonna be on a four hour flight or something, um, you know, you're you're going to run out of juice the, uh, third of the way through the flight. Um, yeah, so it kind of... It's
2: I, interesting because it's like the... Because the I think you're right, the premise is really cool. But I think it's one of those interesting things we talk about a lot in games where it's like there's there's a lot of challenge in designing a game that meshes with a particular form factor, right? Whether that's touchscreen yes. or whatever else. And there's a reason why porting costs are a tremendous piece of overall costs of a particular game's production in the sense that like... Yeah, you might have made the game for an Xbox, but even getting it like specifically for Xbox, but then getting it to work completely on, say, the Switch requires a tremendous amount of engineering because you're building it specifically for uh performance on the device, knowing what the specs are. And so I think what's interesting with yeah. the Steam one is that they sort of said, like, we want to give you the full power of a gaming PC, right? And which means it like Not you in your run. pocket
1: though, but like in your bag, maybe. Yeah.
2: But then like <laughs> I think what's interesting about that is from a dev perspective is that it, it gives you all the power of a gaming PC for sure, but because it doesn't then have a battery to be able to really support that in like that full on gaming experience that you have to start kind of ask the question, like, why would you do it? Because at the whole point is that it's supposed to be you know handheld, portable, but then it, if it lasts for you know, maybe two hours on average or a couple hours. Uh, I think it does kind of have that weird, like, it's not, qu- I would say it's not quite in a no man's land in terms of like, I, it's not that I can't see anybody making good use of it, but it's sort of like, it's a approximate. I this,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the scenarios are kind of like, honestly, alone, I always think it is like the switch, right? Where, cause the switch does have the thing going forward where it's like, it is fully portable, right? Yeah. Uh, and you really can't play it anywhere. So that like, but there's, but there's a few other use cases for the switch that I think is where the overlap is, which is. So, you've got two people who both want to be hanging out together, like in the living right. room. Someone wants to watch TV, the other person wants to play games. Mm-hmm. Switch, perfect. Steam Deck, perfect, right? Like, that's, it makes, that's really yep. a really good scenario for that. Or, like, you're going to bed and you're just laying there, you know, and you could like, do some gaming before you go to sleep. Switch, perfect. Steam Deck, perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I think those are like, those are kind of the scenarios where you're, where you're like next to power. It's just there already. Yes. And you don't, there's a reason that you're not just at a, actual gaming machine mm-hmm. but it's not because you're
1: traveling it's just because yeah there's something else yeah. going on so right? it's like a, it's like an in-home portable yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Device. it's
2: almost like a tethered device you know what I mean like that's tethered to me which is like if you basically yeah. like want to have it plugged in but more or less like by your bed or whatever, which I think is, yeah. is a very good point Adam which is that it is I mean that's 90% of how I use the switch when I use it and I, I presume be probably even more of how people would use a steam
1: deck given how uh, heavy it is in the battery life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Available. And one of the other kind of interesting things about it is that, is that some articles have popped up talking about feedback that people are giving about the Steam Deck and the kinds of features that they're wanting the most. Mm -hmm. And, and almost all the features that people want come down to basically making the Steam Deck behave more like a PC because they want like much more robust uh, key remapping and keyboard support and like all these other things, right? And, um, mm. which makes sense because like they're PC games that yeah. you're playing. And so every now and then something will happen in the game where it's like, put in your name or like type a message into the chat because the game probably doesn't know that you're playing on a steam deck. Right. Mm. Uh, it knows that you're using a controller, but it doesn't know that you don't have a keyboard well, because yeah, well, as we, far as the game we knows, know that you're on for a, a PC sure,
0: because we know that there's no way for our games to find out if they're on a steam deck or not. So yes,
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so this is kind of a—it's something that's that we've run into in the past with our Android games because uh, Android devices will send uh, key presses like volume keys and stuff like that as as keyboard commands, mm-hmm. um, and even like the little like some Android devices will have like a little back button or something, and that literally is—it sends a backspace key command into the device, and so one of the things that we uh, Found out as well is that when you hook up a Bluetooth controller, depending on the Bluetooth controller, to an Android device, the controller key presses send both a controller input and a keyboard input at the same time. Just trying to cover all their bases, you know? Yeah. And so we actually had to, uh, when we added controller support to our Android games, we had to remove keyboard support, mm-hmm. right? So that, like, if somebody is using a controller, we stop listening to keyboard presses and stuff like that. Um and so, but we're only able to do that because we know that you're on an Android device, and we know yeah, we could tell exactly what it can do. On a Steam Deck, we can't be like, "Oh, you're on a Steam Deck." We're going to make this game behave more appropriately, you know, for that form factor. Um, and and also, there's that kind of other question, which is, if if you can buy and fully play the game on PC or on the Steam Deck, does it add to your sales potential of the game by taking all that dev time to make it? Cover all those weird edge cases on the Steam Deck. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's like that's a big expense. It's a lot of dev time to go through all those motions. Right. Yeah, but it's not. Um, a, it's not a touch device, right? It's, it's just a
0: joystick input. I think. I don't think it's a. It's not a touch I don't device. Don't think it is. Yeah, because it, it has. Because ha- it, it has a little. Because I like think a the cursor, f- Yeah, the form factor aspect with uh, when there's not touch. I think basically still it is really the same as just like using a controller on a PC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the screen is small, but otherwise it's the same stuff. Just like just like with one very specific controller, but otherwise it's the yeah. same idea, right? So I think I think it's not like too bad. And it actually, this is I think a lot of why they took that strategy of just saying it is. It's not a touch interface. It's just mm-hmm. it's just a controller with a screen on it, so that they could basically have it be one of the most common form factors, which is controller support. Essentially, um, as you say, we you already support this. So you don't have to
2: do much, yeah. yeah. which is true. I mean, we didn't yeah. have to do a lot to
0: get it all working. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's should. technically still broken, but that's just because of a, a web feature in our game engine that doesn't work on Linux. But we yeah, have a workaround the, that we'll yeah. deploy once we can at some point in the next few weeks. Yeah, and so
1: this, yeah, the Steam Deck is then using, uh, it's using a Linux layer that like, has some kind of, or it's Linux that has some kind of compatibility layer for Windows stuff in there, which must be because of licensing, I would think. Oh, yeah, it's so
0: much cheaper to use Linux. If
1: they had to pay for a Windows license for every Steam Deck, then that would just add like a hundred bucks to every every Steam Deck. (laughs) Right. And so they're like, oh yeah, this is like,
2: so why do you, because isn't Android able to just be used? Yeah, Android's also uh, it's open source source free platform. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so I guess I, I was a, that was the one thing about it. I kind of know because Steam has always been very hardcore about Linux for you know years, but it, that was one of the things they've that never like,
1: really leaned into Android. Well, at I think all. it's because
0: Android as an operating system is uh, it's a very different kind of architecture. which uh, because it's designing you know, up for a mobile first kind of a purpose. Uh, but it's like, there's no such thing as like an Android server. Right. A, a server out there like running Android mm-hmm. to like run I a website it. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like Linux has for, I mean, since really, I mean, for decades has been the sort of de facto uh, operating system that you use when and it's not, it's because it's not just about it being free. It's also about how prevalent it is. Right. And it's prevalent because it's free, but now it's just a repeating, you know, circle. Right. Yeah. But something like an ungodly fraction, like 90 something percent of all of the computers in the whole world, it's probably closer to 100%. Are actually running Linux, right? Because, because, because the ones you don't mostly see. servers, they're mostly <laughs> servers, yeah. And but like, uh, but this isn't a server, right? So like, why would well, no, do... but Steam games need to talk to servers, right, and, and all that stuff, right? So in the same way, we can't just like take one of our games and have it run on Android without a completely separate compile and build process, right? Um, and then the end result is like, okay, now I've got an Android build that can run on a device. So so if like the the compatibility layer that you need there currently doesn't like really exist like you can yeah
2: was that different was that that different from getting it to run on the on linux for the steam then,
0: or does it just take, uh, it we, was we just it would have been historically but steam so because so, so none of these are impossible right but steam has for also about 10 years been investing very heavily into linux and trying to make it so that basically what their, what their goal is is to make it so that they can be doing linuxy stuff on their end with their hardware right it seems like they have all this long term because i don't know if you guys remember but was it five years ago or longer? There was a steam machine, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. Uh, ran that Linux, ran Linux. It was Linux machine, and their idea is like they're trying to get. I think they're trying to make it cheap as possible, and also to decouple themselves from other mega corporations. Yes, right? right. So that they aren't reliant on those third parties in that same way, because they can just make their own version of Linux. They don't own anybody, anything, and so they've invested in making it so that their it's like Proton or something, but whatever, whatever their Operating system is their mm-hmm. Linux version. They've invested very heavily into tweaking and tuning that for gaming specifically. And then right, so lots of driver s- support and tons of driver support, all okay. that kind of stuff. And then adding this other layer on top, which is their compatibility stuff. And that 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 too, even outside of Steam for a long time, uh Windows compatibility via Linux has always been a really important thing mm-hmm. because so much of the software you need runs on Windows, right? And so the open source community has solved tons of problems related to that. Mm. And so Steam was able just to kind of come in and just say, okay, cool. We'll just like take all the stuff that's out there, focus it on our specific use case, and then just try to like solve all these problems so that so that we did it, right? We just solved the Linux problem. Now it's possible. So now if we want to go sell Steam machines, just like we're selling the yeah. Steam Deck, which is just a Steam machine, right? We can sell it and everybody's games will just work. hmm yeah, which is,
1: I mean, it's it's a long play, right? It is, yeah, because yeah. it, is, it is the case that you know Steam has built up their all their stuff on Windows, right? Like the, yep. the gaming PC market is is largely Windows, um, and so they have this challenge, which is they need to be able to they want to be able to migrate their their customer base. What I think is interesting about it though is that they've they've looked at this as a big um as the constraint. So if you think about like the Nintendo Switch, like can you play your old Game Boy games on the Switch? Can you like plug them in and play them? Like you they they've done a bunch of stuff where they've ported some of those games, some and of the re, old Nintendo games. And resold games them and, to you. Yeah. And resold them. But like it's not like buying your Switch, just you just pull it up and you've got your GameCube no. games and your Wii games, you know, on there. Um, and, and this has kind of historically been the case until fairly recently with all of the larger, uh, console makers where when they release a new console, it's just, that's, it's new now yep. and your old games didn't work anymore. Um, now that they're all digital, there's, they're doing more to kind of allow, uh, or, or assist devs in sort of migrating those games or, or updating them. Right. But Val has kind of taken this approach with all of their, home console stuff is this idea that that preserving your current Steam library wholesale it is the most important thing
0: for and Steam that's true for that's like the, their, yeah.
1: their whole market position
0: is we've been here for a long time and you have an expensive, heavily Connection. invested in library on mm-hmm. our on our service. yeah and if you start to be able to not play it over time, Right, which still but, does happen.
1: But what I think is is interesting about it, though, is like there, there are actually a large number of Steam games that are also on mobile, oh yeah. yeah, in some form, right? And so the idea, though, that that Valve would say like whatever we do in the console space and the portable space, it's still going to just be PC games running on Windows, and in whatever, however that has to happen, that's how it's going to go. But they could have gone another direction because they they could have made an Android uh, device, right? And they could have created some kind of compatibility layers there or whatever. Um, Because for example, like Levelhead and Crashlands would have easily been able to just be on that device. And you don't have those licensing problems that iOS has where like, every time somebody tries to do something independently on iOS, uh, Apple, you know, kind of goes after them. But on Android, you can do whatever you want. In the past, it hasn't worked because um, people ultimately go th- back to the Google Play Store. So, NVIDIA released their NVIDIA mm-hmm. Shield TV and their NVIDIA Shield um, little uh, portable thing. Uh, it, was like a, it was like a controller with a screen on it, mm-hmm. basically. Um, but both of those still ended up pointing back to the Google Play Store, right? And so, then NVIDIA wasn't really able to capitalize on the sale of the games for I the mean, they, they thing. They didn't even have the capability to sell games, did they?
0: Wasn't it just like a, like a thin client on top of the store or something? Yeah. It
1: was like, it was like a front page that would then like still ultimately just take you to the Google play store. Yeah. And so there's this problem there where different people have tried making these, these inroads into, into like Android gaming devices that, you know, can become a new console or a new portable or whatever, but they always had some kind of a hole in their execution that made it so that either they didn't really land properly or people didn't get it, understand what well, it was I think, for. I, mean, I think the biggest hole
0: is the games, which is yeah. like, because the games, they have to be Android games if they're going to run on Android, right? Unless somebody yeah. invests an enormous amount of energy into trying to find a compatibility layer there. Uh, and I don't know enough details about like, is that a lot harder than Linux? Is it impossible for some reason? I'm not really sure. But, but it certainly hasn't been done yet, which yeah. means... You got to do that, and that yeah. that kind of problem is like that's hardcore, you know, computer science engineer like nerd stuff, which is very hard and very hard to maintain. But also, the Android ecosystem is rapidly changing. That operating system is rapidly changing. The Linux kernel, like the the core thing, like yeah, it gets updates all the time, right? But as an entity, it's like the most stable fucking thing in the universe. It is also
2: because I mean, you know, Google announced that they're they're bringing Android uh, applications to desktop to PC. Right. They have a yeah.
0: Client. Everybody's
1: trying to creep into each other's space. There's all this cross play uh, stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, Windows right? was
0: talking about this too. Yeah. I'm not sure what all the yeah. It's everybody's everybody's yeah. starting to get
2: all get all up in everybody's business. But I think this is yeah, interesting. Thing, which is like, what do they what do you think the long play actually is? Because are they trying to enter the hardware market in the same way that like a console purveyor is? And then do with the timing of that, do you think it's any good? Because my my take is that like while it's cool, yes, that you can play all the games that you have already bought at some point uh on the Steam Deck, or maybe a new game that you buy, that kind of the the assumption baked in there is that your method of consuming games is still by buying them individually. Which I know for myself is now literally not the case. I just do yeah, just want to game pass play on game pass. And then otherwise occasionally yeah. if there's like a ridiculous thing that I want, then I'll just get exactly that. But I actually very like literally in the last I would say the last two years, I went from buying you know, maybe 10, 15 games a year on Steam, like one month or so, uh, to buying probably two games a year. And usually yeah. those are actually on a console.
1: Anyway, so well, I, in my, yeah, the way that I think about this is I think this is a structural thing. This is something that we've kind of talked about in the, in the past when it comes to like larger companies that have a lot at stake. Um, it's almost impossible for a large company to actually innovate in a in a new space because they always try to do things within the existing framework that they've already established and they always try to hook things back in. And I think I think Nintendo is a good example of the opposite because Nintendo basically does this kind of like alternating thing mm-hmm. where they they, they abandon manage- the tech every generation but they keep the IP right yes yeah they they abandon the tech and they start a new one and but then what ends up happening is like if you notice that they kind of like have a hit and then a and then a flop and then a hit and then a flop when it comes to hardware and i think the reason they have the hit is because they had the flop right like mm-hmm. like i can almost guarantee that now the next uh kind of console that nintendo does is going to look a lot like a switch oh yeah they're going to milk think,
0: this for all the kids.
1: Yeah. And I and I think honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that just becomes what, what Nintendo makes. It, like Nintendo makes the Switch and like multiple versions of the Switch and that's just all they're going to do going forward because it did so well that now they're 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 stuck. Well, right? Also conceptually, so, they 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 nailed it because of the fact did, that they did. Yeah. It's they, a great product, but it also means yeah. that that they're going to they don't have any good reason to look for for new things to do. And the same thing kind of goes with with steam so if you think about the times they've tried to venture into the hardware space in the past right they did the the steam machine like 10 years ago or whatever they did the steam link like six six years ago the steam link where they're like you can play your steam games in your living room but then it's like with 250 ms of input and video lag and then it's just terrible yeah um and then they're like we have this new steam controller and it's like the gaming pc controller for all your steam games and Mm -hmm. it's like yeah sure it's cool but like it's not very cool but it's not it's not really um you know it's still just like another way to interact with the stuff you already have and then it's like oh now we've got the steam deck which is a steam controller with a screen on it And Mm -hmm. and you can which is what it is uh and you can play your steam games for 45 minutes uh in the bathroom right but they're they're not thinking and they and i think actually um I, I believe... I'm pretty confident that it was... I think Gabe Newell recently said that that Steam is not looking into anything like a Game Pass or whatever. Oh, yeah. And he said that... He said, like, oh, if Microsoft wants to put Game Pass on Steam, we'd, we'd be okay with that. Like, if yeah. they want to work with us to make some kind of a connection there, but we're not going to be doing any kind of subscription service, right?
0: But, I mean, Xbox so, doesn't need to. And in fact, they're... Because Xbox is using Game Pass to also break into the PC market yes. more strongly. Uh, because the value proposition is so good. And yeah. it's also cause the whole thing about like leaving your library behind on steam, which is also cause like, the, so mm-hmm. think about like what's happening on the PC space, right? Is everyone just trying to get steam steam's whole thing is we already have all of the games and you have bought all of those games and you own them here. That's that's steam's yeah. whole thing. Right. And so what does Epic do? They come and they say, okay, we're going to give you literally a free game every fucking month for as far as we can tell the rest of time. Mm-hmm. I think they're still doing it. Uh, so it's been dozens of free games, um, and, but like good ones, like ones that you know about yeah. that you have in your Steam library in all likelihood, right? So you're actually recreating your Steam library for free. Right, so that's how we're going to get you. Right, is we're going to get you this way and then through
1: exclusives. But you have to compulsively recheck every week you and come back that game. And if you don't, you you miss it. It's not. It's not like they're just depositing the game into your library. No, no, because they got to get that. because they, they want you to start using the store too. So get, get the FOMO part where you're like, you
0: come there because you know there's exclusives, and also that's where Fortnite is and whatever, right? So you yeah. still come there, and then they give you this extra bonus, and then their long play is that after a couple, after a few years of this. Now the part of the value question of like where do I go to get my games becomes not well all my stuff is on Steam so I'll just buy it here it now becomes either one, well
1: yeah but both of one. these but both of these models are just backwards looking yeah right yeah it's like it's it's tapping into players sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. or whatever well I mean Xbox well, is doing the case, same
0: thing via subscriptions right they're coming in there and say it's not about your library like that you bought it's about the fact that you just have access to the latest games all the time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, again, the same idea, but now now you don't even have to buy
1: them. Yes. So now that the but, but, question changes but, completely. Uh, yeah. Right. But all I'm saying is, like, to me, the difference is that it would be as if as if Microsoft said, hey, we've got this new subscription service that you can pay for, and what we have in there is all of the games that you previously purchased for yeah. all your old Xboxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm saying right? that, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Like,
0: What's happening in this space is that everybody's competing with Steam because
1: that's what Steam is doing.
0: They're competing on Steam's right. terms. They are, but, re- but the, but the approach again. that they're taking. So, so as you're saying, like Epic is exactly playing on yes. the same exact same terms, mm-hmm. and Xbox through Game Pass is trying to Consume's change the shape separate. of the question. Yep. So they're saying, like, okay, it's not about that because because the question you're not asking is where do I buy my game? That's not for Xbox Game Pass, right? You're just asking. Do I pay for Xbox Game Pass because of all the cool stuff that's in there? Right. And then now when new games come out. So like Back for Blood, but played a bunch of uh I almost bought it on Steam, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh wait, it's on Game Pass. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went and played it. Right. And in fact, yep. that was also when I realized my subscription had lapsed. So that's when I rebought my subscription to Game Pass, right? Like well, and I because there's you know, more stuff. Moment, in
1: there. I had a moment where we because you guys were like, hey, come play back for blood. I'm like, okay. I go look it up on on Steam and I'm like, oh man. Yeah, it's like okay. sixty, 60 or bucks. bucks or whatever. Yep. Yep. So so I buy it and then you guys are like, oh yeah, well actually we have it on Game Pass. I'm like, ah shit. And so for the first time in my whole life, I refunded a Steam game. Yep. Yeah. Because I already had it. But I think this, this is the way I think it's fascinating <laughs> because I talk about this idea that
2: you know uh that the future is already here. It's just not distributed evenly, right? And so the point is that yeah, that and this and also I think one of the phrases is snow melts. From the edges. So the point being that people who are oftentimes deepest in uh, in these industry spaces, or whatever else, are the ones who are going to be uh, changing, or like you're going to start seeing behavioral change a little bit at a time before it starts like really kind of cascading through the whole system. And I think this is what's so fascinating to me about Steam in particular, because they they are in a power position as far as distribution goes to offer something that plays the distribution game a little bit differently, even alongside their current method but they especially as a privately owned company where they can do whatever they want. Yes. But they're steadfastly right? like, they being can like, really no. innovate. Yeah. And I'm I'm just wondering how bad of an idea that's gonna look like in like three to five. I think like five years time it's gonna look very different, the subscription space stuff. Because like I again, what have I been playing on my PC?
1: Game Pass games. Game, what Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah you boot up the Xbox app. Yeah. Well I mean and even just the fact that you know I, probably like 99% of my gaming time is in World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Microsoft owns Blizzard now. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> yeah. I can almost guarantee that five, within a five-year span, the Blizzard catalog will just be something that you can just play as part of your Game Pass subscription. Yep. And they'll you, sell, you have they'll sell of the subs-
0: expansions on top cuz that's their current model mm-hmm. is right? As you come in like Back for Blood has like it's got a season pass, it's got all these different mm-hmm. components you can buy. Each one of those is expensive, right? But they you get to come in and play the fucking game first, right? And then then you start buying more stuff by the bells and whistles.
1: Yeah. And so. like and, and it's also kind of cool because one of the things that has, has been a, a fun thing, but it's been hard to execute is like getting some of my WoW gaming buddies to come play other games with me from time to time. Yeah, like, right, because the hurdle the, buying the, it. Yeah, the hurdle is really high. Like, they got to go, like, down... Like, most of them don't even have Steam at all because they've just played on Battle.net their mm-hmm. whole life. Uh, like, they don't ha- they don't have those accounts, and so it's like, oh, yeah, download Steam and, like, set up your account and, like, go get Rocket League or whatever it is, which I guess, actually, Rocket League isn't there anymore. Uh, they had to go get Epic, the Epic account set up and mm-hmm. go get Rocket League over there. Um, and there's this whole, you know, set of hurdles you got to jump through. Well, yeah, if you're... If you don't have a separate WoW subscription, you just have your Game Pass subscription, and you're just booting up Game Pass to play WoW. Then, yeah, you could play any of the hundred whatever games that are on there, um, and that's great for all the developers who have games on there, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not as great for developers who don't have games. On there. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. The
0: space is changing dramatically right in front of us again. For like what it looks like to be I, a I game think, maker.
1: Yeah, I think this. I think the the games industry is 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 getting back into that sort of like it's returning to the contracted form, right? Because we, we had the like the video game crash in the 80s, which came from just an absolute glut of games. Like every every company and their grandma mm-hmm. was starting up a game company or a console company, and it got spread so thin that none of it was sustainable. And also, I think Atari collapsed and just like, everything went went to shit. Nintendo came in with a small curated library of games they had and they had a special microchip that made it so they're like only nintendo could manufacture the cartridges so they had to approve every game that was a nintendo game right and so suddenly the gaming space contracted into this curated Mm -hmm. thing and the quality went up and people started buying games again right um and so i think we're kind of now we're past the wave of of Way, way too many games coming out. Like, we're well into that, right? There's a a glut of games. There's a glut of places to play your games. And now the thing is going to collapse back in on itself. um, And there's going to be some new new winners in the market. Well, that's
0: part of it, too, is is the way that Steam has been operating with that is by having – but I still think it's probably the best discovery system oh, compared yeah. to all the other platforms, right? And so so Steam, like, so, I mean, they're aware of these problems and they're trying to, you know, they're still trying to position themselves to be, basically to not lose, right? They're not really trying to position themselves to win, but they're trying to do stuff that keeps them an essential player. Because, I mean, the reality is, like, if the only way I would go find a game on an Xbox or on the Xbox ecosystem is through Game Pass. And even on Game Pass, there's too many games, right? Because their mechanism for finding stuff is just not good. Still so like medium. if you want, it's still medium. And so the, so the whole reason they this, Apple's the same deal with Apple Arcade, right? Is for Apple Arcade, they didn't even just say, here's a curated list of the best stuff. They just said, here's just different stuff now. Like it's too confusing to be in the app store. Right? So here's just
1: different, different stuff store. and not
0: very much of it. Yeah, different store. And and Xbox has been experimenting with similar systems of like tiered things and so on, right? Like everyone's doing this, but Steam seems to be the only one who's kind of figured out an approach that hits, that still allows for really large numbers of games for people who like to find
1: stuff through like just dis- through a discovery process, but you actually can't. Yeah, but everybody's solving the, everybody's solving the primary problem that they themselves created, right? Because in Steam's case, yeah, you know, Right. That's you true. didn't need all those discovery things back in 2010 when every game that was launched on Steam was approved by Valve directly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now anybody can pay 100 bucks and launch their game. And so now you need tons of algorithms.
0: Yep. And the app stores have basically always been that way.
1: The app stores have always been that way. And Game Pass, um, there are too many games for you to like find something you're looking for. But at the same time, you could just pick one and it's going to be good. Yeah. Yep. Um, and. Something I noticed is, you know, uh, if you open up Netflix on your Android device, uh, I don't know if this is the case on iOS at this point, but on your Android device, there's a games section on there now. Mm-hmm. Except it's probably just ex- Android at this point. Yeah, except what's, it, what's in there is about a dozen games that are quite mo- mobile-y. Yeah. Um, and quite a lot of them have like two or three stars, right? And so it's, it's the opposite problem in there, which is, if you just pick whatever, um, it's not a good. It's actually time. not going to be very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and so
2: it's a weird so business model. That there, yeah, that they've taken there. It's a very strange swing at it that they
0: took. Yeah, yeah,
1: whatever. and so so this is kind of you know each each company that's trying to get into these spaces is they're coming at it from different angles, and whatever angle they come at it from creates a new set of problems that they now have to. Have to solve, and in some cases, they just come at it from the wrong angle and pr- at the outset, um, and then that—that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> it's do just think that, the approach. I do think that
0: right now, of all of the major players, um, I feel like Microsoft via Xbox, but also Microsoft in general, um, is doing the most interesting stuff mm-hmm. along the most like it's like they've got a multi-pronged sort of attack going right now, right, yeah. with like buying up huge amounts of the. Game IP space, mm-hmm. uh, but also like really pushing into different platforms. They're basically trying to break down all these like, because because Windows is, or what Microsoft has always been as a software company first, right? And then you hit like your your major gaming companies, and those are usually hardware first, and they use games to sell the hardware and then make more money off of the games over time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like PC, which is kind of its own whole thing, which is largely software focused again, right? So that's that's in Microsoft's domain. They were too slow to to like do stuff in the game space on PC. But through the Game Pass as a strategy, it's it's like that's the they're one creepy. strategy that feels like it could actually do that to really take that on in an effective way. Um but they're they're just pushing on every dimension at once, and so I think what we're going to be seeing in the next like 5 years is that it's not going to be exactly that, like like that Xbox will win, the, like the console wars. Like, I don't think that's even what's. Mm-hmm. That's not even the metric anymore.
1: Well, yeah, the, right? yeah, call, yeah. Calling it the console wars is like if you're talking about it in those terms, you're already behind. Yeah, exactly. just, that's why I think I feel like okay.
0: Nintendo and, and Sony are going to be actually just falling behind over time over like what it actually looks like to be a player of games, right? Yeah, because they're going to keep their walled systems, where their whole thing is we sell you the hardware and the, like everything is is uniform, right? We choose the games and like and that's that's the whole system and i think we're
1: going to be seeing they're building walls to defend themselves and try to like keep their players that they have right and microsoft is is creeping yeah, yeah. and they're, they're just, just there's their just tentacles laying and everything yeah yeah uh yeah so it's it's been kind of it's been really interesting to watch and it's kind of cool because you know we've been we've been at it long enough that we can kind of see the cycles you know like churning through it's kind of like there's a there's a churn moment where suddenly everything starts to change, and then over the course of five years, things settle, and then there's some new winner, you know, and then they get complacent, <laughs> and then someone else comes in and starts changing the game again um so it's super interesting to see uh you yep, guys want to get on to some questions? We got probably time for one question, yeah sure, so. All right. Uh, this question comes from podcast.bscotch.net, uh, and if you want to get your question onto future episode, just go there and uh, and ask it. So the highest upvoted question comes from Chalosis, who says, "Has your web infrastructure ever been attacked?" Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: okay. So there's uh, the easy answer is like, to my knowledge, not in a substantial way. Um, mm-hmm. Has it been probed with high frequency? Yes. Uh, it's I, I've built in some features because because I, like, I can just kind of look at what kind of traffic is coming in you know, to our system. And uh, and just see what's coming in there. And there's lots of stuff that like is very weird. It's clearly not something that somebody
1: clicked on a link and that you know, or or that came from our games or something. It's people uh, trying it, the low hanging fruit of web hacking of like trying to send weird requests to our services and yeah. Well, because a,
0: a lot of what people will do is they'll send. There's a whole bunch of like administrative endpoints for like common software, like my like MySQL for databases and stuff, right? And there's default usernames and passwords for all those things. And so. And there's default, there's default so, URLs yep. for all those things, right? So, yep. so what you'll typically see is that if you have a computer on the internet, and that includes your own computer if you expose it <laughs> to the internet, then there are tons of basically bot farms out there that all they do, all day, every day, is probe the internet. They just go out looking for IP they addresses they can talk to. They mm-hmm. just poke it, and they start testing it on every port to see what they can get access to. And if they hit a port that is like a cl- a common uh, web th- port that you just send regular web stuff over, you know, then they'll start sending things to it. They'll be like, "Okay, what's at this URL at, at myphpadmin.php or whatever?" Right? They're like, "Yeah." They're just like, keep probing it until they get back a response they expect, and then they'll they'll go in there and do something, right? Uh, so we get—I mean, we're getting tons of that traffic constantly because we have that those are on the, on the internet, right? Uh, fortunately it's really easy to spot that stuff, you know, but even if you don't spot it, it doesn't matter if you're practicing good security or even, okay. Like security. not using the default usernames like not and passwords. using default <laughs> default <laughs>
1: domains. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and that's the thing is like, is
0: that this kind of like uh, the idea of a door lock, right? Which is anybody who's ever played with lock picking will be able to tell you that picking a lock is a thing you can learn in literally minutes. Like it's not, mm. it's a skill. Yeah. And like, and it can get challenging, but your standard everyday locks on any door, including the doors to your house, are pickable in seconds by somebody who's practiced for a few hours, right? remember we had our lockpick guy come and it, he literally just like kneeled down and sort of, I
2: feel like he just like took a breath and then he stood back up and the door opened and I was like, I'm yeah. glad, but I'm deeply uncomfortable now, it seems. Yeah, like- I mean, the <laughs> idea,
1: the, the idea that, you, that you have a lock on a door and then you have sections of the house that are connected to the outside via easily breakable panes of glass already is like, if somebody really wants to get into your house, they just instantly will be in there. So (laughs) so what what these things do
0: is they prevent some nosy neighbor from just walking into your house, right? They prevent somebody who is trying to do it quietly from Mm -hmm. like getting, because like they still, they're gonna have to hang out at the front door doing something. So if people see that, that's yeah. weird, right? So basically what these things do is they don't actually make it's it speed possible. Bump. It's a speed bump. It's a speed bump that also creates some sort of external mechanism to attract other people's attention or, or whatever, or just let you know. Because if you hear a window break, you're like, oh, fuck, right? Yeah. So so for web security, mostly like that's the kind of layer that most people should be operating at anyway. Because the fact is that if somebody really wants into your shit, there are so many tools out there that just brute force discover just anything, that keeping yourself actually safe, like fully safe, requires in a ridiculous amount of like knowledge mm-hmm. acquired over time studying just cybersecurity stuff, right? But the nice thing is, is that unless somebody wants to go after you specifically, just like with identity theft or anything else, usually just are trying to find something that will be easy for them, yes. right? So if they probe your site and they try the admin and they don't even get that page because you just put it on a different URL... If that's all you did, and you still have the default username and password, you should not do. But even if that, all you do is put it somewhere else, it's bots that are trying to find it. They won't find it.
2: So you're saying basically it's sort of like- They won't even try to If you had like a herd, you know, of gazelles, and then, mm-hmm. and then some lions are walking up to them, and then one of the gazelles just sort of, you know, just keeps standing there while everybody else leaves. Yep. Like, they just eat the one that stands there. It's not so much that they're going to like aggressively hunt down a specific one until that one in particular yeah. is consumed, right?
0: But if they wanted to, the lines to, are predictable. They're pretty, yeah, yeah they are. Well, and they, but they go for this. Yeah. They go for the easy one, right? Yeah. it's the same idea as like, like the the idea that phishing scams, you know, the emails mm-hmm. that are someone trying to get you click on a link or whatever. Um, the reason that so many of those are like formatted weirdly and have bad grammar and all that kind of stuff, like, it's not because the person writing it doesn't like have fluent English, although I mean it's possible. But it's actually because that's a filter. Because the only people who will then reply to that are the people who are likely to fall for the next step of the problem, right? Is people who don't
1: know how to read very well and therefore don't recognize the poor formatting and grammar, mm-hmm. which means that those people are likely to be easier to trick. Yep, they or, don't or know even as much they, stuff <laughs> or even if they can that they're so like they're so gullible or technically unsavvy
0: or whatever that despite that, those didn't throw up sufficient warning flags to them to be like, "Oh," right? Mm-hmm. And so so that's actually the main that's that's how most uh, of all security problems in any domain occur, right? Is, is that it's not usually about the specific target. That said, as a games company, uh, you you're, your user base is a whole bunch of people who like software, right? Mm-hmm. Who like computer stuff. And they like and solving problems. And they like solving problems. <laughs> and, and then a lot of them like to cause problems and hate game companies, right? That is true. That is true. That and this is why, like every time Blizzard launches a new thing, it gets hit with a DDoS attack, right? Every single yeah. time. Uh, and so, so that's actually, so we, so we do get targeted specifically. But again, it's usually not like someone's trying to get like my information, right? It's that they want to damage the company for some reason, um, or for no reason, or for no reason because it's because they want as they can. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, but the fact is still, for most stuff, just like basic, if you just learn enough of the basic like strategies and ways that people attack stuff, you can mitigate against all but, like, the actual people who study this stuff or, like, that are literal hackers, that that's their job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those people, like, unless you have another one on your team, well, I mean, you yeah, can't stop this. It. <laughs> well,
1: and the, the other way to try to think about these things is is not, because you, like you're saying, Adam, you can't guarantee anything, right? Yep. So it's also about contingency plans. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of the one of the things that I always find just kind of wild is when, when somebody you know, has like their, their laptop destroyed or something, something happens and like, all my work was on there. Yeah. Right. And I think Mm. how, why, why was it not in Dropbox or Google drive or, you know, there, there are, there are uh, ways to think about what could happen and then make a contingency so that if that bad thing happens, that it, it may be like, you'll have to buy a new, in this case, buy a new laptop. Right. But your files are still there and everything's still fine. Right. Yep. So in the case of hacking you want to think if somebody did get in here um, what would they do? what could they mm-hmm. do and how do we just make it so that if they did that that we would have some kind of a way to recover right yeah it's about um, minimizing the damage right and so that's
0: and that's mostly about uh, diversifying where things are and how you gain entry right so uh, but it's also what matters a lot is what you're storing And so when when I first started designing bscotch ID a million years ago, I knew. But especially at that time, I did not have enough knowledge to be confident that I was like really protecting the data because I didn't know yet what kinds of attacks people could even do, you know. And so, my core defensive strategy was to not have data that it mattered wouldn't matter that much if it got taken. Yeah, right? which we still which we still do. do. We still <laughs> so the only personal information that we have on people, like when they sign up for accounts, is email address, which is even optional actually. If you go through certain consoles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then your unique identifiers from other platforms. Uh, and and that's it. So we don't so know while, your name.
1: We don't know your birthday. We don't yeah, know. We don't, yeah. We don't know anything. Still so even know.
0: if somebody does get the emails, like if somebody breaks into our stuff and, and pulls all the email addresses out of it, right? Like, yeah, that's less than ideal. Definitely. But what can somebody do with that email address? All they can do is know all that it exists. they can do exists. is
1: send some emails.
0: Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they can still create, because like because like, usually how like these attacks work is that somebody gets entry into something, they get as much data as they can and they put all that data somewhere where people can buy it or just take it or whatever. They right? start kind of stitching. And then the other together. people start mixing it together. Yeah. So it's a so even though we only have your email address, if once that exists, then if there's a way for people to tie that to other things, then they can. So like so the stuff that we do tie together is like your other account IDs and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the information that somebody can gather if they like get into our system, which is, you know, there's no like unless you just have no data at all then it's always still less than ideal, right? If somebody gets in there. But the core defensive strategy is to say, okay, I don't want to be the entity responsible if somebody gets a hold of our player data for the fact that somebody gets their identity stolen, Mm -hmm. right? And so strategy one is to not have enough, have data that would allow that to happen. So, and we're just, that's, we're going to keep going with that route. And then strategy two is to continually learn and improve security practices so that it just becomes... Less and less likely. Or I guess it'll require a more and more sophisticated person who specifically wants to get into our system
1: yeah. to be able to actually do it. I mean, I, I remember speaking with somebody, I, I won't say who and I won't say what game, but this was probably maybe like seven or eight years ago. Um, and they were working at a, a larger mobile studio working on um, a racing game. And it was, it was out and it was a live game. So it was, you know... Making money hand over fist with all these uh, uh, in-app purchases and microtransactions and stuff. But their strategy was to really push people for Facebook sign-in. Yeah. And once somebody signed in with Facebook, then a company would start harvesting every bit of information they could yep. about you so that they could infer – how old are you? What's your probable income level? How many kids do you have? What race and gender are you? All these different things. And then they they were continuously crunching numbers, uh, tying purchases of stuff in the game to all those different personal factors. And then they were Tailoring making it so that, the, yeah, so, that, so that the game would basically be like, oh yeah, if you're from this country, you're more likely to really be interested in this kind of a car. So we're going to make sure that we show you that car right Um, because we think you're more likely to buy it Um, for
0: their for their what they call whales right which is but they're big spenders and so most of the money in the mobile game space um, comes from a very small fraction of players who play games but it's not just because a small fraction pay for it at all, because it's like free with IPs. It's because within oh, that, that's also true. That's also <laughs> true. But then within that, there's a small fraction of those people who actually pay. It's like who, the one percent of the one percent. Yeah, they literally buy yeah. like a thousand times as much stuff as somebody else who buys stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so these, like that group of people in any in any big free to play game, uh, spend so much money that they, as a group, also become people that if they if the company has the data. And it's not illegal, or it's sufficiently gray, or they feel like they won't get caught. (laughs) Then they can—they'll just go look at individual people and be like, "Yeah, they'll they'll just
2: just build exactly your specifically for people without them necessarily knowing." Which is,
1: yeah, oh yeah, Steve, who who spends a thousand bucks a month on our game, made some comment on Facebook the other day about how he's really pumped about whatever new you know car from this Mm -hmm. company. Let's make one that looks like yep. that and sell it for five hundred. Specifically bucks. pointed at his account, yeah. you know, um, because if you've got a team to do that, you know, that's that's easy money, right? <laughs> it's easy to make assets, right? Yeah. yeah, but of course now you're you're just you're you're storing just god just mountains of personal data just for the sake of like selling pixel cars, mm-hmm. right? And it's like mm-hmm. you're 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 creating such a huge amount of risk. An exposure for people um, for for what? Yeah. You well, know? And, the, like, and
0: the trick is is that you're not you're creating risk for other people because at least in the United States we have such poor privacy laws. Yeah. Um, outside of healthcare, I mean, even I mean, there what it's, privacy laws. <laughs> it's what exactly it is? We don't like you can literally just do anything with people's data. Yeah. And uh, and and you know and we it's been adding layers very slowly and very begrudgingly, but. Um, it's now mostly being done state by state, which is also fucking annoying as a person who has to like manage it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's just this slow process where you're just, al- you're allowed to do just anything. And that's is also why, you know, you hear the news about like Facebook saying, Oh, we're going to pull out of all of Europe or this particular European country or mm-hmm. whatever, because they're, they added this new privacy thing that we're, that we're right. butting up against because we're
1: literally like, we're in, our the, whole, we're in the business of selling your data. We're in the that's business of <laughs> having all your data and selling
0: it. Yeah. Uh, and looking at it. Right. Um, and so, so that's why they're, they're they're literally willing to pull out of entire countries or entire blocks of countries, right, uh, and drop all of that because the ability to just have whatever data they want and do whatever they want with it is so valuable. That's their business. I mean, that that's is their, their business, business model. model. Yeah. So Without they're sitting it, they don't on that, have a business
1: model. <laughs> yeah. So they're just sitting on that treasure
0: trove, right, of all of that information. Um, and so, which is also to say, the best way to protect yourself is to not give that information to any service. To any service, mm-hmm. even like if you can get it, like if the bank tells you anything in the form is optional, don't fucking fill it out. Yep. Just don't fill any of it out. If you ever confront an optional field in any system in your whole life, don't even touch it. And the ones that are yep. required, ask: Is this really required? Mm-hmm. You know? Because like cause the them, thing is, nobody knows. Fake info, you know, throw them off the scent. Which mm-hmm. actually, I, that is something I do: is I populate fake biographical data for most services that I use. Um, so only my email address and name are definitely correct you know uh, and then you don't uh, know who this person is
1: All sorts like
2: aliases backstories.
1: Yeah. Yeah. so yeah be, be careful you data but yeah, I mean our, our ultimate strategy then is is don't store anything mm-hmm. w- wherever we can get away with it yep. Um and, and what well, we do store
0: have, have it encrypted at rest put it use use best practices you know for our app at our scale and uh, you know that's that's it but it is I will say it is fun to like because I have any analytics that come out of our uh web traffic that tells like how many endpoints are getting like how many urls are getting hit where are people go that kind of stuff so that's where i can see every request um not the details i i scramble all that so i can't like see personal stuff but like i can see what urls are getting hit and i can see some details of what's coming in and because so many of those requests like i was saying earlier are like they're just identifiable as somebody probing that i can also just look at i can look at those and be like Where's all the probing coming from? You know, like how is this how is this coming in and what are they doing? And it's it is actually really fun to just go explore that, like those logs and see because you actually learn about other software because they're they're probing like known vulnerabilities in certain popular software, right? And uh, so yeah, yeah so you, you actually can kind of see what it is you maybe don't want to use because you mm. can see the, right. the stuff <laughs> that people are really trying to attack all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. That's pretty interesting. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for the question. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.